You're listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 154. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with the owner of Power of Three and rowing coach Cassandra Cunningham to talk about the power of prior proper planning and how this philosophy created her company and how it has become a way of life. Cassandra has competed and coached for over 30 years at the Olympic and collegiate levels. And if there is anything she's learned, she knows that being in the moment, trusting your training, and knowing your plan produces championship habits. Tune in and learn how this transformational coach produces champions for life. Are you ready to raise your game? 2021 is the year to increase your performance on and off the field. The Athlete's Edge Journal was designed to cultivate self-confidence and mental resilience through the power of sports psychology. Whether you are a professional athlete, a former college athlete, or have aspirations of greatness in the future, this journal is for you. Visit winthementalgame.com and use the promo code GRANTPAR20 to receive a 20% discount at checkout. Act now to take your mental game to the next level. What would more wins, higher productivity, or quicker recovery mean for you? NeuroPeak Pro optimizes human performance by working to promote balance within the autonomic nervous system. Used by the world's elite athletes, this training program is now available to you at home. Cutting-edge neuroscience and technology allows you to strengthen your brain remotely anytime, anywhere. Schedule your evaluation and get started with your brain training today. Visit NeuroPeak Pro and receive a 10% discount by using the promo code GRANTPAR. Hey, Cassandra, how are you? I'm good, Grant. How are you doing today? I'm doing, I'm doing awesome. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you because it's always nice when I have these podcasts. I always do a pre-call and, and to get to know uh, the story of my guest. And it's really cool that our our past have kind of aligned because we're, we're from the same area, but you're actually on the other side of the United States right now. And I'm in San Francisco, but it's just really cool to have you on my show to talk about your athletic mindset, kind of your, your journey, how you got into rowing and got into coaching. And, and we're going to talk about your company power of three, uh, which is really cool. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. No, it was great to meet you a couple of weeks and see how our very similar paths and um, yeah, just come all together. Awesome. Connections. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, let's get into it. Cause I know when, when we first talked, we had a lot of uh, great thoughts on just mindset, but mental toughness. So when you think about being mentally tough, what does that mean to you? You know, it, it's interesting that you say that because I feel I just, did a 30 minute assessment on the rowing machine yesterday, which my colleagues and I do once a month. We're trying to stay fit and active and we're still training to race when that opportunity comes. And I was telling my colleague, I wish I knew 25 years ago what I know now. And mm -hmm. that is to not, whatever life is happening to you at the moment or whatever fears that you have, that when it's still time to assess, you have to just put that aside and be in the moment and test your body to everything that you've trained to do to that date. So you have 
an idea of how to continue on with your training and where you compare yourself instead of thinking this is everything and I'm going to just fall over and I'm losing everything. And so I realized that in that moment, when I've had a really excruciating month of January and I teach four hours in the morning before I sit down and do this test that, all right, well, here we go. We just have to do it here. Just sit in the moment, just see where you are and you know, sure thing that I'm still within that range of where I should be. But the toughness was, is just kind of letting go and not overthinking it and just allowing the body to do what the body's supposed to do. And then having minimal short conversations with yourself throughout the, the process of it. And 25 years ago, I couldn't do that. I couldn't, I didn't know how to put that aside. Um, because I was so thinking about, well, what if I can't keep up with the other people? Or what if I, you know, what if I'm going to fly and die or do anything like that? So mm. I would say to me, like mental toughness is compartmentalization. How do you be able to allow the body physically to do what it's capable of doing and then allow the mind to let the body do what it needs to do, having these, you know, short conversations with yourself? Mm. Yeah. It, it, um, like what I'm hearing is it's like, it's trust like in the mm -hmm. moment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of overthinking exactly it. It, and what if, you know, it's just, you know, trust all your training. That's, that's exactly it. Trust what you are doing and what you continue to do. Totally. Now we're going to get into, you know, I say your sport. I know that you've, as a, as an athlete, you played a lot of sports, but when we talk about the sport of rowing, um, you know, people can just look at, Hey, you're just rowing a boat. Well, mm -hmm. I know this and I've had people on my podcast that it is tough to do. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like in the sport of rowing to be mentally tough? What, what are some of the things that uh, a rower has to deal with and that has to like push through to be mentally tough? I think the, I think the first thing is, is that rowing is a racing sport. That's the big thing. Um, you know, it, it's, 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 as you want to get to from A to B as fast as you can. And so it's, you know, you get out of the gates, it's like swimming, it's like a track, cross country, you want to be first across the line. And so I think with this uniqueness of this sport, there are a lot of uh, variables. One, you are sitting in a boat, in a boat, sometimes by yourself, sometimes with others. Can you match with the people who you are in the boat with? If you're by yourself, that's it. You're the only person moving the hull. Right. Um, secondly, can you keep the boat? Can you sit in the boat without flipping over, you know, in the water? Can you, can you get across the finish line without going in the water? So there is the part of being in the boat, sitting in the boat, understanding how to move the boat, and then feeling the adrenaline of the work that the body is putting into to making that whole move. And then the mental part of, am I going to sustain what I'm about ready to go after? Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of components I feel that come into this as, which was different from when I was running cross country in my early days in high school that I had nothing. It was like the gun goes off and you just go as fast as you can. But I think if you keep it simple and you love to race, all the physical components of how to move the boat and the technical part come very easy because in the end, it is a racing sport and you just want to go as fast as you possibly can. 
Right. So right. hopefully that helps a little no, bit. <laughs> totally. Well, and also, you know, when you think about other sports um, like swimming, I mean, obviously swimming and your racing, um, I, I believe maybe it's just me, but it's, you know, waking up at six in the morning and jumping in a cold pool, right? That's like, that's, <laughs> doesn't seem fun at first. Right. And, and I, and I believe in your sport as well, that you have to wake up early to get on, to get in the water. Uh, that takes a little bit of uh, mental toughness too. It does. It does. And there are, um, I actually rode all through college in the morning, trained um, with the national team in the morning. So I was very used to the, those early mornings. And the funny thing is, is that especially when it's freezing, it's, you don't, we don't wear gloves when we row. We would have these things that would cover our hands called pogies, but still we don't wear gloves. So do you just think about the, how, when the temperature outside is so cold and your hands are just frozen and you're just trying to get connection to this oar handle to me that would be the most excruciating <laughs> but other than that um the joyful part is watching the sun rise um yeah. and then sometimes in the evening when we would have practice watching it set oh that's awesome that's awesome awesome well can you share a specific time like whether if it was in your athletic career uh, or coaching where you had to be uh mentally tough can you share like a specific time uh yes i can actually um this I, I can think of one journey in my athletic career that i was uh, actually the alternate with the u.s national team in 1998 and so as the spare you know it's a tough job. You are kind of on pins and needles and you never want anything bad to happen to anybody, but you're also waiting for a door to open that you may have the opportunity to race. And I would say for that journey that summer, um, as soon as I was selected to be the alternate was probably the hardest 30 days of my athletic career because every day I showed up to practice trying to just push the body, stay fit, stay healthy, never knowing if I was going to get to the starting line. And there was a day that one of the other athletes did get injured, but she wasn't a sculler. She was a sweeper. So within 36 hours, I was reminding myself how to sweep again. And I had an opportunity and then that got shut down. So to just keep my head above water and keep thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Where's the light at the end of the tunnel? Um, it was a strength that I just had to find that no matter what the end is, there is, there's a reason why I'm doing all of this. And it's just to show up and keep pushing and pushing lots of crying. I can say that. And then we got to the world championships in Germany in Cologne, Germany, and literally the week of racing two days before the heat started, something did in fact happen to one of the athletes in my category in that boat. And I got the call and I sat in the boat and we won a silver medal. And it, it was wow. a testament of, you talk about on that day, sitting at the starting line, that it's funny They, you know, looking at the video back, everybody's really focused, they're super serious. And I actually have this huge smile on my face because I realized that this week of racing cannot be any more tough than what I had to go through to get to that seat. 
And mm -hmm. so I just knew that I was going to relish every moment of racing that I possibly could because I knew what I had to go through to get to where I was that day. Um, that, as my father would say, that journey definitely thickened my skin in a lot of ways of being patient, of being humble, um, and, and just persistent. Yeah. It's, that's a beautiful story. It's, um, it's honoring the process, even when you don't know where, where the process is going to take you. Right. Yeah, that's and, exactly it. And I always say this to all my athletes is it's be ready, stay ready. You just, you just do, you mm -hmm. have to be ready. You have to stay ready. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a woman who actually I wrote in my book, um, Mary Elzaginis, who, uh, at, I don't know where she is right now in the world, uh, in the sport of fencing, but in 2004, she was, um, wasn't even supposed to be a part of the, the Olympic team. And she ended up, um, just right before the Olympics got put on as an alternate. And then the night before there was an athlete that something, I think it, that an athlete got hurt. And so she ended up being in the Olympics. She ends up getting gold. She comes out of nowhere. No one's ever heard of her. Just got goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> And then from that moment on, she was number one in the world all the way into the next uh, Olympics, and she got gold again. And wow. it was just like, how do you get prepared for the unknown? You got to be ready and stay ready. Yep, yeah, and 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 it is true. Like the opportunity will present will present itself when the time is right. But you're a hundred percent right on. You know, totally, totally. Well, I believe that there's a lot of like everyone has a really cool story on how they got connected to their sport or what motivated them to get connected to their sport. And, you know, again, talking to you uh, previously, like your story is pretty cool. Uh, how, how did you get into the sport of rowing? It is kind of a funny sport. I actually grew up um, with athletes in an athletic family. Um, my mom wasn't an athlete. She just had very good common sense. She still does have very good common sense. <laughs> Um, but my older brother was a really good pole vaulter and became a really good surfer. And um, so just his agility, his athleticism was just amazing. And my father played basketball in college and was an athletic director at Jefferson High School in Daly City, taught at San Francisco City College, you know, just tennis, basketball, et cetera. And I ran track and cross country at Mills High School in the Bay Area and, and loved every moment of it. And I didn't realize how much I needed sport until I got to college when I knew that I was not going to run at Sacramento State. It was just a division one, really good track and field cross country program. I just knew that that wasn't where I was and I got it. But what I finally realized the three weeks in my first semester, my freshman year is how unorganized my life became without the daily routine of athletics. And from a person who is completely type A and OCD of being super organized to not having the structure in her daily routine, I became like the Tasmanian devil. Everything just blew up. And mm -hmm. so I was lost and I realized I need to go, I need to go find cross country again. And at that time, UC Davis was actually due to athletics. And I, that was actually my first choice of wanting to go to college. So I said, great, I'm going to transfer. I'm going to do well in school and transfer next semester. I went home. I had the plan. I told my dad, this is the situation. I'm losing my mind. 
I have nothing. I need to transfer to Davis. And at that time, he actually just got the mail and he hands me this flyer and he says, well, why don't you try this? And I said, well, what the hell is this? He said, it's rowing. I said, yeah, but what the hell is rowing? And he said, just call the number and go figure it out. You know, he knew that there was something in it, but he just said, just go figure it out. So long story short, I end up three weeks late to the party um, at the aquatic center and Bob Whitford, who was actually the rowing coordinator at the time, a scary tall man. I was three weeks late and I showed up the first day and I said, "I I realize I'm late. My father told me to come check this out. I ran in high school. Um, I'm just looking for something to do right now. And he's like, oh, great. Well, we're doing this time mile, you know, three mile time run today. Just, you know, hop right in and we'll go from there. And I said, oh, okay. So I joined the party, did the run. I crushed everybody on the run. I came back. I had a huge smile. I said, great. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll be back. And that was the end of it. Not even knowing what the sport of rowing was. I just beat everybody on the run. And that was enough for me to come back. Oh, that's awesome. You know, it's it's funny how we like get into certain sports and and you and I talked about this because you know uh, Susan Franzia. Um, I remember her story where she was a basketball player in high school. Well, she was okay, but when she went to you know University of Penn and decided not to play sports anymore, she like literally majored in what she said, partying. And <laughs> just felt like after her first year was just like I same thing, like I feel a little lost. I, I need to get this routine back. And she just saw a flyer that was like, hey, you know, try out for the rowing team. So she's like, hey, okay, I'll be in a boat. Uh, that sounds cool. And she had no clue. And then she realized like after the the tryouts and she made a team that she had a gift. Yep. So fun. So fun. And so basically right now I blame my father for the next, the last 30 years <laughs> of my life. You know, I just said, just remember you were the one that handed me the flyer. <laughs> right. Right. Well, when you think about uh, all the, all the athletes that you've coached uh, at the D1 level and beyond, um, when you think about the mental game, like what do you think is the main ingredient to have or ingredients uh, to, for an athlete to have a, a strong and stoppable mental game? I think the one thing that you cannot teach in an athlete and you know that you have some gifted athletes. I mean, teaching in general, I love, but when it comes to the ones who are, are looking to excel and move, you can't, there's this crazy gene. Like you just know that these athletes show up every day. They wanna learn more. They wanna strive. You just can't teach that grit or it's just a natural instinct when you see some of these athletes that come. And I have seen it on the high school level and I have been like regular high school level. I have seen it on the U19 level as well as the, the college level. And I think what, there's a stubbornness. Um, you are, it's their greatest strength, yet it also could be their Achilles heel. And the strength is that, they want to continue to learn. They want to continue to strive. They want to continue to excel. Um, but their weaknesses is that they are afraid to fail and they are afraid to um, disappoint. And so I think when you kind of, in, in the process, what I've learned is I've taken some of these athletes that who have all those strengths and struggle with those Achilles heels 
to them, I've tried to balance that out and allowing them to say part of that failure is going to be part of your success. But I can't teach the kind of push I want to give you. You already want to push yourself, you know? And then there's the total opposite athlete who doesn't even know what that push is until you open the front door for them and you provide the skill set for them and the structure of what organization is, what preparation is, what training is, and you watch them strive. And all of a sudden they build this confidence like, wow, I am totally capable of doing that. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question a little bit. Well, no, I, th- I think it does because, you know, I don't care who you are. If you're competing, whether if you're a coach or an athlete, we all want to be successful. Uh, hands down. Who wants to show mm-hmm. up like on game day and then not be successful? Mm-hmm. We all yeah. want to be. But we also have to have a relationship of what does success look like? What does it feel like? But also a failure because or mistakes. It depends on how you look at, you know, mm-hmm. failure. So it's teaching these these athletes to have a relationship with failure and to, and to look at it is it is it a, a, a negative emotional pull or is it actually an opportunity is it a yeah. stepping stone right and i think that's what really at the core of it when people don't when athletes don't have that relationship with failure and it can hold them back a lot and it not only can hold them back in the moment but if they don't know how to let go of it or get a lesson from it then they hang on yeah. to it for days and weeks and the whole season and it just destroys them so like how do you how do you coach that how do you like what are some of the conversations you have around failure one of the things ironically enough the group of juniors that i work with just had a 2000 meter assessment uh, a week ago and um we had a couple um a couple athletes that you know improved their score a little bit and then we had a couple that didn't and Mm -hmm. We kind of, I walked around each one of them and the two days prior, I said, okay, make sure that you come ready, knowing the number that you want to achieve, knowing your plan, what's your plan uh, of attack, go back and do your homework to the training that you did. And so some of them just, I assume I could go this. So I went after it and a colleague of mine gave this great analogy you know, talking about racing, saying, you know, do you like going to the movies? And I said, you know, yeah, we love going to the movies. I said, well, watching somebody take a 2000 meter erg assessment is like, you know, you're going to the movies. A good movie is when you don't know how the ending is going to go. You know, you just, you're in the moment, you're watching. And then you're just like, wow, I didn't see that come. But if they're going to go out as fast as they can, not at the pace that they should, well, you know how the movie is going to end. And so you're like, well, I know how the story is going to end. So (laughs) I think one of the things that we talk about in failure is I like watching, looking at their profile of racing. And it's not the, it's not just the result. It's how you got the result and what do you need to improve to get to the result that you want to. And so we talk about that. And I said, well, listen, you went out this hard and I already knew how it was going to end. What made you go down that path? Did you actually go home and think about, well, no, I didn't. Okay. And so interesting enough, I said, you know, we talked about there's this foundation that you actually have to hit the cement a couple of times hard in order to then stand back up and, and regroup. And Funny enough, they're going to have another kind of assessment next week, but this week coming into training, I have never seen, and again, when I say diverse eight athletes, 
you know, boys and girls, you have a range of like just diverse aid athletes came and executed practices amazingly, just understanding the training, the numbers, the pacing, the breathing. And we talked about that. I said, this is what you prepare for to assess. Your assessment should never be a surprise. You should have a pretty good idea. But then the next part of that assessment is the racing part. There is the training piece that you're prepped to, but then the racing part becomes this mentality of what can I then gear into in my next, in my next psyche part of this. So it, it is interesting to see how they have been able to fail, come back, not afraid, and get back to working again and learning from that. So I'm very excited to actually see them assess next week. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, and you, you talked about this um, earlier about uh, preparation and, and this is where I want to have you talk about your company power of three, um, which you get people prepared and you have yes. an understanding like the importance of preparation. So uh, share with my listeners, uh, your company power of three and what motivated you to, to create this company. Um, well, sometimes, you know, you don't wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm going to plant a company. That's really not how the story kind of went. The, the, the story, I had had a very lovely three years coaching at the University of Pennsylvania, and I decided it was time to exit and go back to the roots of wanting to teach and do the 80,000 things I was doing before. And that was doing fitness camps and working with high school kids and coaching adults. I just had a variety of stuff. Um, I was hoping at one point my husband and I were going to collaborate and work together. And that was kind of the plan moving forward. Um, but unfortunately, life happens and the situation at hand uh, wasn't going to allow us to work together. So you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard plate and you're thinking, okay, well, I just passed up a few lovely jobs. Um, this opportunity didn't happen. So what am I going to do is I'm twiddling my thumbs and thinking, what's the next step of my life? Well, I think to that point in my life in 2015, I had a pretty extraordinary opportunity of a career so far as a physical education teacher, high school coach, working with the U19 national team, uh, coaching collegiately at the division one level, coaching masters. And since I was a little girl, growing up with athletics in my family, um, growing up, my father always told me about, you know, the three P's. And I said, well, what are the three P's? And he said, prior proper planning prevents piss poor performance. And my grandfather was captain of the merchant Marines and it's a military phrase. And I literally, it was instilled in my head since I was a little girl and every athlete I started to coach since the age 22 and it was instilled with me as an athlete, I incorporated to them. I said, prior proper planning. You know, they would talk to me about, oh, my dog ate my homework, or I forgot my gloves, or I didn't have the right running shoes. And I'm like, all right, prior proper planning. You got to think ahead. You got to be organized. You got to communicate. And so to, ironically enough, to give a little credit to Susan Franchi, who when I started this company, she said, what does prior proper mean to you? And it does. Organization, communication, um, professionalism. And so that was the trait that stamped of all the things I wanted to embody with, regardless of how old you were, 
the demographics, where you lived. I wanted to teach that to, to the people, what it meant to me, what it taught me and how to just kind of pay it forward to how I was raised. You know, I, I'm not, I was never one to reinvent the wheel. I, I felt very gifted that I had parents who were level-headed, who taught me all the things that I needed to learn as a student athlete, as an elite athlete. And so I just wanted to pay that common sense forward to everybody else. So yeah. there became power of three, prior proper planning. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, it's funny. It brings me back. Um, it was last year, I think it was. Um, I brought in uh, Anisha Curry, who is the only female coach in men's D1 basketball. Uh, she's assistant coach uh, for University of Maine. And I brought her in to talk to one of the teams that I was working with. And you know, one of the, the athletes asked her, like, with confidence, how, how do you, like, how do you, how do you gain confidence? And she's all preparation. She says, what happens, like, if you lose your confidence in the middle of the game, trust your, trust your training, trust your preparation. And you just kept on saying preparation, preparation. And yeah. it's, I think it's really true when you do enough reps of anything, whether it's speaking or if it's your sport, but you, you've actually connected with your craft, you put in the time and you prepared and you've yeah. got to trust that you're whatever you do the, the day of the game, you're not going to get that much yeah. better, right? You just got to trust nope. your preparation. No, nope. and it is. And, and it's, it's like, you know, on game day, some people would say on race day when I was running, hey, ha try out these new running shoes. And I said, no, no, no. I'm going to wear my old scraggly running shoes because those are the ones I've been training in. And then yeah. I'll break in the new ones. But absolutely, I think. The preparation of just knowing that you can attack it and it's nothing different. I think that's the thing that I'm trying to teach the athletes now, which I wish that I realized 25 years ago that it isn't different. It's just a different day with a different opportunity, but it is really the same thing you've been doing over and over again. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I want to bring this up too, just because, you know, you and I, we're coaching athletes in the end during the pandemic. And so with the pandemic, there's, there's been just so many different dynamics that we've all had to deal with as an athlete and as coaches um, from your perspective, like what are some of the things that are showing up that you have to didn't think you had a coach uh, during this time or if any. Oh, well, I would say it really depends for the eight athletes that have the opportunity that come to the schoolhouse three times a week. I think they are super blessed because and grateful because they have an opportunity to be around others and train mm -hmm. in a very social distance space. But I would say the thing that's most challenging from what I hear for them is obviously the um the distance learning, the Zoom, sitting at home all day, um, and, and not even being able to join their their teammates and uh, you know, and a practice, you know, once a day and gathering all those social skills um, back of just communicating and being present and being, you know, in in the moment with everybody. But I think here, you know, there's a reason for everything. And as scary and as unnerving this pandemic has been, I always believe that there's a silver lining for everything. And I think one of the things that these young athletes are going to learn moving forward is the appreciation, the appreciation of 
showing up to practice and being ready to be in the moment of practice. Appreciate their fellow team members who are there and that they can talk to. Um, appreciate leading by example. Um, th- I, I believe things that they, I think, might have taken for granted before that they didn't see that they will see moving on. I mean, you make make all the all the points are great i mean like i see the same thing too um i think at the end of the day it's um these these athletes no matter if it's high school youth high school or collegiate above it's about connection and not only about connecting with their team and the energy with other humans but you know connecting with their craft their sport yeah and you know i've had some athletes that question why am i doing all this work for i don't even know if i'm gonna have a season I said, well, you, yeah. to be honest with you, you don't even know, you don't know if you're going to be playing because you might have, you know, coach might have a different game plan. You don't know a lot of things. Yeah. So, you know, and I've kind of revisited a quote that I wrote about is we're all working towards something mm-hmm. into the unknown. Like, yeah. so we're, we're working our ass off to, to get better, but we don't know what tomorrow is. We don't know yeah. what coach is going to do. We just don't know. We don't know if the season's going to start or end. So it's about just staying connected staying connected. It is staying connected. And I also think teaching them about the importance of physical fitness and health and being able to, you know, all the athletes that I work for that are looking to be collegiate athletes right now and are thinking, well, I don't have a race season. So what is the coach going to want? Well, the coach is going to be looking for, are you making this happen? Meaning that, are you taking the ownership? Are Mm -hmm. you, are you still training, running, getting to a machine, sitting on the machine, what are you doing to show these coaches that you want to be a collegiate athlete or that you in fact really do need sport? And I think that's the the biggest thing, which I always say, not do you want sport or what do you want, but why do you need it? And that came back to the beginning when I left high school and went to college and was missing those three weeks that I realized I didn't want it. I actually, in fact, needed it. And I mm. needed it for all the purposes of the connection, the social, the organization, the time management. So I think that's hopefully opening up these young high school eyes, especially even college athletes to say, wait, what am I doing this for? Oh, in fact, I do, like you said, need that connection. Yeah. And, you know, we I talk about this a lot on the show. We all know this, you and I, uh, being an athlete, being a coach, you get so much from from sport or sports, period. Uh, you know, again, communication skills, leadership skills, um, being competitive, understanding how to deal with losses and winning and all that stuff. So when you think about, because you just talked about all the things that resonated with you, especially when those three weeks that you weren't competing, if you were to go back to your athletic career, what do you think is that one thing that you got from rowing that's made you a great coach now? Humility. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I would say humility and, and patience. Yeah. Um, I think the ability to put myself out there every day, uh, ready to be critiqued, ready to be criticized. Um, and brought me to what I loved about coaching on the same level. And then just the patience of the process, as we talked earlier. And that, ironically enough, over almost 25 years now that I've been coaching, 
I look back and I think it's almost been 20 years ago that I started my big first high school job at Sarah High School in California Mm -hmm. that I laughed that the the athletes who connect with me today, they say, wait, you don't do this or you don't do that. I said, listen, I was a young buck, you know, back in the day and uh, patience is a virtue. And let me tell you, I did not have any patience. And I, I still, that's one thing I am on the struggle bus every day still is with patience, but I know how to harness it and I know how to handle it better when I'm talking now with athletes and parents. Mm. So, you know, what's great. I, I, I just, I just finished this, um, and I'll just show it. This it's this book, and it's practicing peace by Pema Chadron. And it's, and I've been doing this work for a long time. Not only as an athlete, as a coach, and what I got from this book about practicing peace, it talks about patience, and how patience is. It's literally if you want to be present, like we, because we talk about it all the time, like mm-hmm. be in the moment, be in the here and now, be be present, play present. The only way you can get to that moment of being present, you have to be patient with yourself. Mm-hmm. And therefore, when you are patient, then there, there's actually a level of peace there as well. Mm-hmm. So um, so when I think about now, like when I'm talking to athletes, like let's get to let's get now, let's get let's get present. Well, let's get let's get patient. Let's get patient. Yeah. And we can train that real quick, how we can just get patient real quick mm-hmm. and get in the moment. So I love that. So I'll listeners yeah pass that that. yeah pass that along that's a good one that is that's a very good one Mm -hmm. so reflection you know we talk about uh i talk about this a lot on the show reflection um you know we talk about getting one percent better um we want to gain wisdom um we have to reflect Uh, that's how we get better we look at our performances our training so when you think about reflecting on your whole career as an athlete as a coach what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Um, that's a really, really good question. I think, I think the thing I've learned most about myself is that I, one of my gifts and the thing that I, I see now over the course of over almost 35, 40 years is I love bringing people together. And that's what embodies the company. It is about connecting people. And I love bringing people together, how we were connected. We were connected through a a colleague that both you and I worked with, with his daughter, who I had the ability to work with. And I think there's a real gift. And I think community and connection are two of my most important foundations of who I am as an athlete and a coach and a company owner. And I will continue to strive with that because there is, there is a beauty in watching and having people come together who've never met and have this connection and then able to build that, you know, new relationship and flourish. And I think with the honor of sport, I've, been able to create that and it it's awesome I I, it's it's a beautiful gift and I'm really pleased that I can give that gift yeah I love it I I I love seeing I mean obviously I grew up my whole career in 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 team sport but 
when you can, as a coach, when you can connect energies, right? Synergies, energies, but when you can see the frequencies, like, especially when people are really like they're dialed in, they're locked in and, mm-hmm. and you're part of that process. It's a, it's a really cool feeling, mm-hmm. real cool feeling. So how can my listeners learn more about the power of three connect with you and just understand more of your journey? Well, they can learn more about me by going to www.priorproperplanning.com. And that's the website where they can learn all about Power 3. And you can be anywhere in the country. Um, We can connect. And there's obviously this magical thing of virtual Zooming now. (laughs) And, uh, And when that's all done, I will be more than happy to get on a plane and fly to anywhere else. Um, you will learn about all the nooks and crannies of what the company has to offer. And, um, and if you, the, my email's up there, my phone number's up there, so you can dial in and hopefully, you know, we'll learn more about what the what you're looking for. All right. Well, Cassandra, thank you so much for, for just sharing your mindset and your journey, um, and, and what you're doing to affect, uh, athletes right now. It's, um, it's a treat, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, Grant, it was great. It was. I look forward to seeing where you end up and moving south and all the things that are. I'm super excited for you and thank you so much. It's been a great honor. Awesome, you bet. Woo!